0: Hello and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your hosts Josh Bouchon, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik.
2: I'm Dana Zook.
1: Josh Bishon. Today, we're going to talk with Tommy Puffenbarger from Alfalfa County about alfalfa production. Uh, He's a special guest we have on today, and I think Josh and him are going to banter a little bit back and forth about it. I know that I've cut and raked a lot of alfalfa in my day. I don't know if I ever did it right. But most of the time I was pretty young and I was just doing what I was told. So I know I like the smell of alfalfa and I like feeding alfalfa, but I've messed up a lot of producing alfalfa in my day. So I guess it's all a learning experience, but kind of Josh, uh, we've had a lot of rain here recently. I think Alfalfa County, Tommy has had a lot of rain as well. And we're kind of setting up for a pretty good year to establish us some alfalfa. So you guys kind of want to get into that topic a little bit? Yeah.
3: when uh, we thinking about a legume here, that's perennial. Uh, Obviously, seed's a big input cost on alfalfa, and that kind of scares some people away. But the biggest thing when we start talking about establishment of alfalfa is, yes, there's some upfront cost on that seed, but doing it right, you're going to have that stand for several years. So, uh, Tommy, thinking about establishment, what do you guys need to do from here till fall when we get those seed beds ready?
4: Well, first and foremost, we need to be soil testing. Yeah. And, uh, if we really think about soil testing and we're thinking about an alfalfa field that you might have in place for seven to 10 years, if it's, if it's, uh, kept clean and, and managed right. Uh, one thing that we, I think a lot of folks are, are overlooking is grid sampling
3: Yeah.
4: on an alfalfa field. I think if we're going to grid sample, we get a better uniform, uh, fertilization in, a, in that field, uh, just to try to make it we've got to get this lime right you know and we've, we've got to understand that that we're probably not going to get that lime on again until it's over so let's let's get the lime we need on right up front let's get our nutrients where we need to we need to remember as we're we're cutting that crop what it's taken off and how we need to be able to add some more through the production process so
3: yeah and you hit the nail right on the head and we have to correct that ph Uh, Any legume, whether it be soybeans or alfalfa, uh, they're going to be more sensitive to those acidic soils, low pH. And we've seen in any crop that those grid sampling is very economical, especially for correcting soil pH. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, And then, like you said, removal, whatever hay crop you're thinking about, you're taking something off that field and you're going to have to replenish it. So
4: I think think some of the research shows that for... uh, for every five ton of alfalfa, you're taking, what, 75 pounds of phosphorus off and about 300 pounds of potassium. Yeah. So you're taking quite a bit of nutrients out of that crop. So we, we need to we need to remember to, to replenish that. And, you know, technology's changed. Fertilizer's changed. You know, we're, we're in a lot better way than we were back in the 60s and 70s to get this this uh, nutrient back into that crop.
3: And I mean, yeah. Very small seed, seeding rates, seeding depth, seeding equipment's a big component of it. Uh, Most of the time we can get by with our wheat drills and stuff, but there are some specialized seeders, brilliant seeders. And uh, some of those are even available at the conservation districts across the state. But I've seen more and more guys custom hiring in it.
4: Yeah, a lot of guys, you know, are more interested that they, they, they know that those individuals that are planting hay consistently and are growing that crop are set up for it. And with that seed being as small as it is, um, we got to worry about what we're putting on, you know, so we need to make sure that, that, uh, seed bed's good and firm. Most of these guys are planting at a half inch. Uh, I think if you visit with most of the producers around, they just soon have the moisture down below and, and, uh, and not be drilling into moisture, uh, you know, 10 to 15 pounds an acre, uh, some guys want to put it on heavier because they want to cover it up. Hopefully they, they have some, uh, take care of some of the weed issues. Some guys say if you put 10 pounds on that, uh, it'll cover and do fine. And by the way, if I have to redrill yeah. another 10 pounds, it, it's a pretty expensive crop to put in the ground. So and we sure want to make sure that seed's inoculated.
3: <laughs> yeah, being a lagoon, we have to inoculate to get that, to fixate the nitrogen.
1: And Tommy, you once told me... Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can seed alfalfa, but you said your best alfalfa stands always happen when it's too wet to plant, and that had to do with using one of those uh, big yellow things that fly through the air <laughs> yeah. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: one one year, it's been many, many years ago. It was so wet, and there were there were a couple producers there in the county that you know the ground's ready, that it's it's perfect, but it's just too wet. And you, that's another thing you think about. We don't want to track this new hay field up. If you put a set of ruts in there, it's going to be there for as long as that stand is. So putting it in the ground and and some of these guys say, I'm going to try it. And we have seen some some seed put on with an airplane. Get a lot of coverage. You sure get it out clear out to the edges. Uh, A little harder to to determine that seeding rate, you know, Mm -hmm. but. uh,
3: But typically with broadcasting, we're going to be a higher seeding rate to begin with. You're going to
4: be a higher seeding rate anyway. But had some really good stands. But you also had a bigger expense because of, of putting that higher seeding rate out there.
1: From an, from an economic standpoint, I think that's important to remember that you're not planting a wheat crop. <laughs> no. If you're going to go out with alfalfa, you need to, if you don't have just a whole lot of cash on hand, you need to have a good conversation with your banker because the expenses are never going to cease. Uh, you think about liming, you know, I've, I've done some pricing on lime on my own farm and of course it's all dependent on trucking and, and where the lime is but you're talking thirty five dollars a ton applied uh, for lime up to a hundred dollars for two tons and I mean and that sometimes doesn't get you to where alfalfa needs to be that might get you to five five yeah and you're you rather rather be what six six five Josh is yeah. that, if you're really going after that seed. So, I mean, that's just the beginning and that has to happen a year or two before you plant alfalfa because you know that line yeah. takes time to, to change the pH. So can't do it the week before you plant. You're talking about a decade worth of expenses that you're setting yourself up for.
4: And, and that's something you got to think about, you know, whether you're, whether you own that land or you're renting that land when you're putting mm-hmm. these contracts together, you know, you can't mm-hmm. afford to put a bunch of lime in and get the nutrients right and then put a seed crop Two years down the road, and and then somebody says, "I want that lease back because mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't get your leases set up right." Yeah. So, Josh and and Trin are both right. You know, alfalfa is a long term investment. You know, it takes a lot of money to get that crop ready. But you know, as far as the mechanics of it, there's a lot of uh, machinery involved to get that yeah. you know harvested and and put up correctly. So, it, it's a big investment. Yeah, I think
2: I'm sitting here thinking. Um, I think the only time I ever disked at home was when we were preparing ground for alfalfa. Otherwise, we're all no-till. So I think I I've disced, I know this sounds silly, like four times in my entire life because you know that was the only time we would work ground is to just get that ready uh, for an alfalfa field. And in Nebraska, at least from what what we did, we always had alfalfa. Um, but they typically at five years that stand was done. So I don't know, it's probably just different in soil or soil type or something like that. I mean, the production, maybe the production went down to where a level that it wasn't economical. Um, but it's just, it's a little bit different down here then, and the growing season's a little shorter. Um, they definitely don't get five cuttings. I mean, four is really great for where I grew up.
3: That's but. another thing kind of contrary to belief, at least in Western Oklahoma, a lot of guys put in the river bottoms down in low land. Uh, But alfalfa doesn't like wet feet. Does not like wet feet. Does not like wet feet.
4: Saturated soils. Good K silt loam.
3: Yeah.
4: Likes that at uh, uh,
3: well drained.
4: Well drained. You know, the the better the soil, the better it's going. I mean, and that goes back to that stand longevity in Mm -hmm. life. It's not just it's the soil you put it in, the the nutrients you got it right, and then the whole production through it. So, you know, we saw lots of rain in a lot of fields go backwards and, and wind up drowning out. Uh, we get a lot of scald if water sits on there too long on alfalfa. So we had a lot of, of hay fields that were just completely destroyed. And uh, pigweeds came back up in them, which, you know, and, and first time I've ever seen nitrate problems in baled hay, but it was a pigweed nitrate problem, not an alfalfa problem. So, oh, yeah. you know, environment and production practices have a, uh, big play in the longevity and I know a lot of people say four to five years but you know speaking from from observation in alfalfa county I've seen stands that surpassed 10 years of course yeah easy. I think it and it, it, it goes back to you know you, you can't outguess what's going to happen with the weather mm-hmm. it's going to happen it's going to happen so
3: but in addition to the weather there's a lot of production uh practices that we need to focus on on established stands uh you keyed in on pigweed so weed management's big contributor on getting a good stand established but also retaining that stand if it starts thinning out without the weeds take over that thin out stand as as well as ipm on our insects uh those can be detrimental to our stand as well
4: sure you know some individuals want to put a pre-emerge down and some people feel like that uh as close as you're planting to fall that those, those weeds, as long as they don't get them to shade out the alfalfa, that they're going to freeze out. Yeah. So it goes back to your economics of what you think, where, where's your pocketbook or your banker at on it. And once again, what are we thinking about that longevity of that stand? You know, if one thing you see a lot of fellas do that in the fall, they plant and they get this hay up and everything's great. And the growing conditions are great. And we've got a, eight, 10, 12 inch plant yeah. in the fall and they go, boy, I want to cut it. And has that root really established to where the reserves are there like they should be? Or if we go in there and cut it, are we uh, already stressing that plant out before we ever even got it into the, the correct harvest season? So if we've got a pigweed issue or something like that, maybe we want to, to visit with Dana and say, you know, after this hard freeze, can we come in here and flash graze it for a short period of time, week, 10 days or something, just get it off and, and go and go back maybe to help that issue? But uh, weed control is a big part of it, whether yeah. it's grassy weeds or, or broadleaves.
3: And going into the winter, there's oftentimes <laughs> we have volunteer wheat or much of our bromes, cheats, and stuff like that. Those can choke out some alfalfa too. So. Choke
4: it out and, uh, you know, shading that out. So we need to, we need to be aware of that.
3: Those are easier to control than some of the <laughs> broad leaves, A so. lot
4: easier to control. <laughs> Back to the seed, and you know, make sure you got a good good variety that you're comfortable with, that's adaptable to your area. You know, just because it's growing somewhere else doesn't mean that that's going to fit your your area. So, visit with people around you that's growing. hay. they're they're going to tell you if that's work for them or not. You know, is 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 Roundup ready? hay what you really want? Mm-hmm. You know, is is you know, visit with some folks, visit whether you think the common is or where you need a, a variety, a name variety. So um, that's
3: something that uh, we're starting to kick up at OSU. Our state forage specialist is starting to get some alfalfa variety trials going. We got one at Lahoma for Northwest uh, to look at some of those varieties, but getting that information from the CD there is probably going to be the best bet. And there are some national resources where you can look at those different traits for disease and insect tolerance and resistance. Uh, but like you mentioned, Roundup Ready caught a lot of guys' eyes so they can have a more economical option for weed control, but that seed cost is going to be a lot more significant or significantly higher than our commons and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so.
4: And, and we need to visit about with others about what their, uh, production, you know, numbers are on yeah. Roundup Ready, you know, to see if we're getting the same kind of tonnage out of that or, or. Hadn't been around long enough that we should have some stands out there that people are talking about stands longevity with yeah. Roundup Ready that's
3: two concerns we've heard here, too, that are those newer varieties that are Roundup Ready, glyphosate state tolerant. Do they get the production? Do they get the longevity? So that's something we're wanting to look at as well.
2: Yeah, I remember yeah. that from growing up. I think my folks had a stand of Roundup Ready and just did not produce. Like,
3: yeah.
2: But that was years ago, so that was probably a decade ago. So I hope they've come a long ways. I bet they have.
3: But we start getting to the tail end of those stands. We start maybe focusing instead of dairy or horse quality, maybe we start thinking cow quality. I've seen some guys overseed some small grains uh, in those thinning stands. What kind of management decisions do you get on that tail end of the stand?
1: Yeah, you
4: you have to make up your mind. Is it, you know, it still costs the same amount of money to run all that equipment, to cut or the rake over that as it does whether there's, there's, bare spots, pigweeds or small grains, and then you know, how's it gonna cure out, you know, what the timing effect is. Small grains are an option.
3: Oh,
4: yeah. Does think, it does it work, Tommy? Tell <laughs> us <laughs> it can work. Uh, I think it, it it has to be into your production practice. You know, is it gonna fit what you want to do? And that goes back to the back to the production part of it, you know, uh Bill told me one time, if you bail it for a horse, you can always sell it to a cow guy. So if you're always trying to bail for quality, you, you're always able to sell that somewhere down, down the As we would say, maybe say in, in marketing is down the road, whether it be from the horse to the beef cow, to the dairy producer. So, uh, what is your goal with that? Can it work? Yes, it can work, but timing's sometimes a factor and, uh, uh, Some guys don't want, they just don't want to overseed that. They just don't want that in that field to to worry about later on. If it gets thin enough that they're thinking about doing that, they're probably going to, they're probably getting to the point where that, that stand's ready to go. And at that point, you know, there's other options. Wait till spring and come and plant an oat crop in the spring in that last year's hay crop.
3: That's what I've seen.
4: Come back, you get your, your first cutting with some oats in it, you got a real good high quality uh, feed. Yeah. And then at that time, yeah. you'll still have time to work that ground up and get it ready for for next crop.
2: So, would you plant an alfalfa field right after you have had an alfalfa cro- alfalfa crop in the same spot, or would you rotate? You,
4: I mean, you, is that smart? Well, no, you, you need to rotate. Okay. Alfalfa produce, produces a toxin out there. It's a it's a alpha. It's an auto toxicity, and uh, that. Depending on how thick the stand is, how old the stand is, how much toxins in that mm-hmm. soil. Okay. So if if you're going to, we, we get to, we get to call a question like my stand's two years old and I've got a drowned out spot or for some reason the weeds was over in this corner and I want to overseed it. You're probably not going to get a stand to come back because it's going to, it's, that auto toxicity okay. is going to not allow that to to come in and happen. So... I believe it's the the research says that once you get plants 16 inches apart, that your stand's probably thin enough that you, it can it can start to have something else come in. Your auto toxicities are down, but once they get at 16 inches apart, your production's not there either. Yeah, I mean, what would you be yeah. producing? So <laughs> now, now you're you're not putting up quality hay; yeah. you're just putting up quantity of inert matter. Uh-huh. So we need to let that the you know I most generally. Uh, producers are letting that hay set out at least two years. Okay, good. And, you know, that's a time where if they're an alfalfa, they can go back to to other crops to try to clean those fields up so they're not having those weed issues that they might have been experiencing while the crop was in production. Yeah. So now
2: that we're kind of veering towards less quality alfalfa, what do we, I mean, when we think about alfalfa as a supplement for cows, so we'll... What um, experience have you had with that, Tommy? Um, I know we have worked on programs together with that. What what sort of,
4: is that? Is that a good option produ- for producers? Um, well, from the, the research that you've done and numbers that you put together from meetings previous, you know, if you're still paying $150 a ton for good quality 18% alfalfa, most generally that's a cheaper source of protein than any supplement we can get. Plus it has other things in that crop that, that the other supplements don't have. So Mm -hmm. you're getting another bonus there. So alfalfa hay is a, is an excellent source of protein and supplementation to that cow herd. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, back to uh, the dairy producers years ago, started using that RFE, relative feed value numbers. So, you know, they, they don't even want to buy that hay till it's about 150, mm-hmm. you know, and I think chart just going up around 225, 235, somewhere in there. And we're still producing hay that's that will show that it's at 265, 285. And the dairies, you know, finally, you can produce such good quality hay that they go, I can't pay for that excellent quality because there's a point where. I don't need that much protein. Mm-hmm. So they want to buy something a little lower. <laughs> so that's, that's sounds crazy, but producers, if with, with timing of the cutting and, and then uh, baling techniques, yeah, they can produce some really good quality hay. So
3: timing is always interesting. That's where their quality's made on timing. how far into bloom you are. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> always find an interesting at wheat harvest. We got guys focusing on harvesting their wheat and their alfalfa is getting out of control.
4: Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of, schools or trains of thought on, on harvesting of alfalfa, some guys say I'm going to harvest every 28 days and that's the way it's going to be because that's, that's my schedule. I've got too much other stuff to do. And if you telling yourself that, then you're strictly after quantity. Mm. And another big factor is weather. Even if you're ready to cut hay, when you absolutely think you want to, and it rains like it has in alfalfa County the last several days, if it was ready a week ago, you're not going to get on that ground for another two to three days now. So it's way past ready. So weather is the, the biggest influence, I think, for me on quality of the hay. So some guys will, will say, you know, it's recommended to cut that about 10% bloom. Yeah. And uh, if you cut it too early, once it, once that alfalfa plant starts to bloom, and your crown buds are coming up. Next Cutting's crown buds are coming up. That's an indication that the root reserves have been met by that current plant. And you can cut that. That's when you should be cutting. So if you look at your crown buds, when your crown buds are coming up and ready, that's when you should be cutting. Because sometimes, because of weather, you might not even get a flowering crop. It might not flower. Sometimes your first cutting first crop, hey, never flowers, Mm. never flowers. So you have to go off of some crown buds. So some guys will go on that 10% rule. Some guys will do off of crown buds. Some guys do strictly on, uh, I'm going to do it every 28 days or 27, whatever fits their schedule.
2: And so the crown buds are are your next cutting that's coming. Okay, I just wanted to clarify.
4: So if we wait, if we wait till that crown bud gets two to three inches tall and we haven't cut our, crop current crop and we set that cutter bar down or our disc mower down and we cut off next cuttings crop too. We've backed it up and and we've slowed that next cutting down. So we have to think about where we're setting, but we want to, we want to cut that, Hey, you know, two to three inches approximately because we're trying to get all that matter that's on there off the field, which includes insects. Hmm. So we don't want, you know, anything we can get off that field and, and, we're, we're better off down the road. So uh, 10% bloom, they're saying that's where the protein's probably gonna be the highest. Mm-hmm. And once it gets to 25, it, you know, it's already going down. So how do you gauge 10% bloom? I have no idea. <laughs> you know,
3: it's more of an art than it is.
4: And, and that's, the, that's the beauty of living in an alfalfa county and growing up there and knowing these alfalfa producers. And, and man, I'm just going to say it. I think alfalfa county has got the best alfalfa producers in the state because they've lived it so long. This isn't something they got into last year and they're learning it. These people are passing this down three and four generations of how to put up good hay. Mm-hmm. And they they live it. They babysit it. They, they're they there for quality and quantity second. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's just a. It, it's it. You can't put research on feeling on on how that feels. You know, timing in your mind, what goes. But you can be ready to cut it and say, uh, it's, uh, "Is the weatherman right or is he wrong? Am I going to cut <laughs> or the not?" the question of the day, right? You know? So it, it's 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 still your call at end of the day, and that's where it's at. So um, protein. If if you've got one of those stands, it might be a little thinner. It doesn't look like it's going to rain down the road and you're thinking it hadn't, you know, it's just barely blooming, and it doesn't look like rain, long-term forecast, maybe you leave it a little longer so you get some tonnage because it's probably going to be cow hay anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So, you know, you just got to look at that field and, and tell yourself, what am I aiming for with this cutting? What what's what can I get? But as far as the bloom goes, I don't know that anybody's ever went out. It's pretty hard to go out there and count blooms to say it's at 10% now. But I think a rule of thumb that I hear a lot of fellas in alfalfa county say, when I see the first purple flower, the, the cutter needs to be in the field. Okay. Because when you see one purple flower, it doesn't take long to where it looks like, wow, the whole field's purple,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know, mm-hmm. everything's flowered. So you can't wait until the hay's ready to cut to get
1: your equipment ready. It needs to be ready. Well, Tommy, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. Now there's, it's obvious that we've asked you to come talk about alfalfa because you're from alfalfa county. What made Alfalfa County historically a place where people started growing that crop? What what is unique to Alfalfa County compared to surrounding crops? I know Grady County competes with the with you to be the number one alfalfa producing county in the state. Is that correct?
4: Grady County is up there, and and all those numbers go back to who plowed up the most this year because mm-hmm. the stands are old, or we had drought, or we mm-hmm. had uh, flooding issues. So, you know, there's, there's about four counties in the state now that are up there in, in alfalfa production. People are realizing that benefit for beef cattle, that mm-hmm. supplementation. And uh, so it fluctuates, but it all goes back to who's tearing up the most acres and who's planting the most acres. But as far as alfalfa county and the uniqueness, I don't know which direction you're wanting to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many, many years ago, way before any of us were born, there was a train wreck over in Capron, Oklahoma was what I was told. And on that train wreck, there was a lot of alfalfa seed. And back then the, the producers or people were, train companies let the people come clean that wreck up. And a lot of that alfalfa seed came back to Eastern Woods County and alfalfa County. And that's where a lot of that alfalfa really got started. And a lot of the producers will tell you that's they've still got a lot of that seed that, that started from that place. So it's been been common for a lot of years. Yeah, it's common varieties. It's a common variety. That's interesting. It's really tough to get some of those producers that believe in that common to go to a name variety because they know that it's it's for this area. Will this hay compete in southern Oklahoma? I don't know.
3: And that's the tricky part of we use the word common. It's basically variety, not stated. It right. could be a named variety that just didn't go through the hoops to get it registered. Right. So you don't know what you're going to get unless you know who you're buying it from right. and have that relationship.
4: Right. And that's where, you know, uh, a lot of your producers that are local will go talk to those other local producers and say, Hey, you got any seed available? Yeah. Because they they're driving by their fields every day too. They know what that their neighbors got and what is how it's producing and Man, that stand's been there a long time. What's, you know, so just visit with other producers about those varieties. But yeah. I don't know if that's that the, is that the answer you just oh, want? So.
1: I knew there was a history <laughs> behind it. I mean, you don't get the
3: name without a story. So. I just always assume since it's so flat, they don't have as many terraces. Yeah.
4: Maybe. Well, <laughs> it, it, we got some really good soil in Alpha yeah. mm-hmm. County. We got some really good soil and it'll grow some really good hay. Yeah. So that's the number one key is planting that on a, on a, on a soil that's going to grow it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's just like wheat or sorghum. If you don't fertilize for the crop, you're not going to grow it. Alfalfa County na- wasn't named after the alfalfa seed. Was it already named when this happened? I can't answer that. I don't okay. Know. That's why I'm wondering, no. like, uh, that's, that, mm, that's, this would be a kind of a historical. kind of. I'm old, but I don't, I'm, I'm <laughs> not that far back. So. Yeah. But uh, in, my, in my history lessons, Alfalfa County was named after Alfalfa County Bill Murray. Okay. One of our governors. Okay. So I I think Alfalfa County will have the name Alfalfa for a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well that that's a good way to wrap up our conversation, I think. That's a lot of good history, a lot of good information on producing alfalfa. As obviously, as you've heard, Tommy is very knowledgeable on on this crop. And I'm sure if you ever had questions and you wanted to get in touch with Tommy, we'd be glad to to get you in touch with the Alfalfa County Extension office or your local county extension office if that's more comfortable with you. Um, we are really glad that you joined us today and we'll catch you next time.
0: We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again and we'll talk to you soon.